The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, welcome to another edition of HealthKick. I'm Tim Borum. Well, when it comes to hearing loss, the problem is usually associated with ageing grandparents or even uh, parents. Uh, the expression uh, deaf as a post comes readily to mind. In reality, though, hearing loss can become an issue much earlier in life. According to the ASX listed Ordera, hearing loss affects about one in five teenagers, one in three baby boomers, and about half of those aged over 50. Globally, a billion young people are at risk of hearing loss because of unsound music listening practices. In Spinal Tap terms, they've amped the dial up to 11. Now, Odera's solution is headphone, but not any old headphones. These ones are tuned with an algorithm that tests the individual listener's profile and adjusts it accordingly. Odera is selling its headphones via audiology clinics, and it's just entered the much bigger US market. Now, I've got uh, co-founder and CEO James Fielding with me to tell me more. Welcome, James. Thanks so much, Tim. Great to be here. Excellent. A pleasure. Um, now, James, why doesn't hearing health get the attention it, it, it should deserve? Because it's an issue that takes time to present itself. And it's more often than not a slow and steady decline over a number of years and it seems to be put on the back burner, as well as not only the health concerns, there's still some fairly firm stigma around being seen as frail or old or weak, so people don't like wearing hearing aids, but that is starting to change, but it's a big issue. And it's something that we work very hard to put front and centre so that people can maintain a really high quality of life. Yes, and I guess some of the problems, the early problems are uh, subtle or not apparent, like being uncomfortable in a loud venue and, and, and things like that. Yeah, that's right. It's one of those areas where if you've been exposed to significant loud noise at a live music venue in sort of sporting or recreation, whatever it may be, you feel that heaviness in your ears, you might get a little bit of ringing in your ears, but it will more often than not start to eat over the next 24, 48 hours. And so it stops being an acute issue. And it's not until people are noticing that they can't really communicate with their loved ones in a quiet setting that it really shocks them into action because not being able to hear in a loud setting makes sense. And so it's one of those areas where it's more often than not a spouse or a loved one who says, hey, we've really got to do something about this because it's impacting our relationship. And by that time, um, it's more often than not many years down the track. So part of our plan is to get in earlier in that journey and give people a solution and a call to action that lets them take some change before it becomes a really bad issue that's impacting them quite severely. 
Mm, okay, okay. And just uh, and just stepping back, the company uh, was uh, founded by yourself and two other doctors. So you were just out of medical school. What what sort of gave you the idea? So we were lucky enough to get a scholarship to do MBA studies alongside our medical school studies, and the goal was to come out and start solving some problems. And Dr. Chris Jeffrey, who we founded the company with, was out in the ENT clinic looking at doing ear, nose and throat surgery on people and didn't have access to the hearing test because the appointment to go and see the surgeon or the specialist was three months, but the appointment to get in and get the hearing test was nine months. And so people were turning up to their clinical appointments without this information that was necessary for decision-making. And so we thought, let's see if we can have a go at building a device that will give people their hearing health information. And then it translated to let's get people to make some behavioral change and turn into a musical device because people are told they're deaf a lot, but what they don't do is then take any action. So we wanted to create not only a device to provide the information, but a device to change behaviours positively. And that's when it all started back in 2015. Yeah, okay, okay. Now, now you sell uh, pretty much exclusively through audiology clinics. What's the process? I, I presume the whole idea is that they're not a replacement for hearing aids, but perhaps a tool to, uh, to defer the need for them. Well, that's right. We talk about it as being an as well as or on the way to a hearing aid in the world of audiology clinics because hearing aids have a very specific job to do, which is hear spoken word, and they do it very well, but they do leave a fair amount to be desired when it comes to the entertainment experience. And a lot of audiology clinics are owned by the hearing aid manufacturers themselves. So they're very confident in their understanding of the hearing aids. But when it comes to alternative options for people, they were a little bit lacking in that space. So we came along at the right time when people were starting to think about the hearing health a bit more broadly and the audiologists were looking for some additional solutions. And so we see ourselves as a really great solution in this particular clinical setting for the people that would usually just walk out empty-handed and wait another five years before going back. So they can come in with a problem, they can talk to the clinician about it, and they can leave with a solution to that problem. And that's, that's what we're all about, just getting people who are looking for some help, looking for an enhanced experience, and we provide that solution for them. Okay, okay. And and so the headphones, is it really so, sort of pitched at uh, entertainment in the main, in, in other words being able to listen to music or, or, or the TV uh, better or, or is it about uh, communication more, more generally? Well, it definitely started out as TV and music, but COVID did an awful lot for the industry and in particular for us with regards to work from home requirements, connecting to laptops, you know, having conversations with people like I am right now, I'm using the headphones to be talking to you on the laptop and it became a tool that people could use in a number of different settings. So it very much started out as entertainment, but with the rise of Zoom and video chat, it then became a really great tool in that instance as well. The thing with hearing aids uh, is that uh, they, they've greatly improved uh, apparently, but uh, they're still a bit clunky, aren't they, and sort of fiddly to uh, 
fiddly to put on. Well, that's right. And it's not expensive. Yeah, in this race to make them so inconspicuous, it means you're working with very small devices that are you know, quite fine and, as you said, you know, sometimes quite fiddly. But they have, they have come an awful long way in the last 10 years in terms of the technology that they're able to provide, but it still can be fairly tricky for people who need a nice, simple solution. And uh, if you don't wear them, they're not effective at all. <laughs> well, that's right. 60% of people just put them in the top drawer and never use them again. So we've got the most expensive top drawers in the world with all these medical devices and, you know, the lawnmower goes past and people take them out and that's that. It takes an awful lot of coaching and encouragement and really good clinical intervention to get people to stick with it. And so you mentioned uh, that, uh, or you have mentioned that uh, I think six out of 10 people walk away from an audiology uh, clinic uh, empty-handed so that's sort of the the market opportunity there for you well that's right from a business point of view it's a huge opportunity for the clinic which makes it a huge opportunity for us if we can be that solution that's getting the clinic's customers well satisfied then we become a strong partner for that clinic group and that's what we've seen in australia okay and and what's uh, your sort of uh experience to date with uh with, with, with revenue um, and the uh, the local rollout, um, you, you you lifted by the way in May last year, didn't you? So so fairly fairly recently. Yeah, so we've had two quarters that we could report on, and I'm very proud to say that it's been continued growth in each of those quarters. I mean, the most recent that came out end of the year, we had just shy of 600 grand for the quarter, and that was 130 percent up year on year and 50 percent up quarter on quarter so we really we used those funds from the ipo we put them to work we grew the team and we got a lot more stock which we needed to of course but since then it's been a really strong upward trajectory which is great yeah okay okay you don't sell in jb hi-fi do, do, do you or, or, or harvey norman you you really are sort of pitched as a as a medical device in in effect and very much not a medical device, uh, but yes, we do operate in the clinical setting and our direct-to-consumer sales to a large extent through the National Disability Insurance Scheme. So there are a huge number of people who can use our headphones using their government funding, which is great. And so we have the direct-to-consumer through the NDIS and then, as you said, the vast majority of our revenue is coming from the relationship we have with the clinics. Okay. I think you've actually mentioned that uh, uh, most, if not all, of the uh, sales are funded by government schemes, and you mentioned the NDIS, which, of course, is a big one. Uh, There are others as well, aren't there? Yeah, so the Hearing Services Program is a really great initiative which gives people who qualify, so being above 65 or under 21 with certain hearing needs, and there's a number of other categories as well, but you can go in and use a hearing voucher in a clinic, which is wonderful. So that's an either or style voucher. You might um, choose to use headphones as your solution, or you may choose to use a hearing aid as your solution. But with that voucher, you can make that decision. And then the Department of Veterans Affairs have a rehabilitations program with specific devices for TV listening. And we fit into that category as well. So we have the NDIS, the Hearing Services Program, and the DVA RAP program, it's called. And all of the people eligible in those programs can use our headphones for no out-of-pocket expense. 
And what's the cost of your headphones relative to, say, uh, a hearing aid? Oh, much cheaper. So people are able to get the TV bundle for four ninety nine or five ninety nine now with the latest generation of the technology. And hearing aids are a few thousand dollars per year. Okay, yeah. So, so, so there's a big difference, and that um, that would sort of obviously appeal to the funders as well. Yeah, that's right. There's there's a, a fairly big difference in that cost offering for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So, so how many uh, how many clinics are you in? Uh, in in Australia? We just topped 1,000. We started the year in just over 600 when we did the IPO. And since then, we've brought on the last two large international chains in Australia, which means we're now available for sale in all of the large clinic groups in the country, which is incredible. So, it all depends how you slice and dice the number of sites. We use a much smaller number because these clinics have large visiting sites and all those types of things, but we tend to take a more conservative approach to it. But we've really got everyone there is to get now, and the job is to get in and really build on those relationships because we bolted on Connect Hearing and the Audica clinics at the end of the year. So in November, December, and then we're undergoing that training and onboarding now. So it's it's going to be a really exciting next six months as we start to ramp up those relationships. And there's a bit of a oligopoly in, in terms of uh, hearing clinics, isn't there? Yeah, there most certainly is. There's a handful of big players that rule the whole universe. And that's really great. Me being over here, I'm in Dallas at the moment. I'm over here in the US meeting the American arms of those big players on the back of the relationships we have in Australia. So it is really interesting that five or six players can really dominate market share globally, really. And Australia is a great representation of that. The only player that isn't one of the big internationally owned is Hearing Australia, who are the government provider. Um, Everyone else who's a significant player are, are all one of these big five yeah, okay. So I guess uh, if you only have to talk to a, to, to, to uh, half a dozen uh, big clinics or so, that, that kind of makes it easier to, um, uh, to, to, to shore up distribution, doesn't it? It does, yeah, and it's part of our go-to-market plan and part of our strategy to transition into this B2B was the fact that we now know who our targets are. So we're not too concerned about click-throughs or return on ad spend or any that kind of stuff. We know who the decision makers are and it's our job to convince them that we're a valuable offering through their clinic network. And once we do that, we then end up in five or 6,000 clinics rather than you know, a thousand in Australia. So it's, it's a great upside. Yes. So are you selling in, in the US yet? We have made introductory sales in the US, which is great. They came in the end of December there, and that was through our distribution partner here, Westone, who are doing a great job for us. And I've been over here three weeks now, four maybe, and I've been running around meeting a lot of people and really getting these relationships up and running, which is great. Okay. Okay. And of course, yes, the, the US market would be sort of 10 times bigger uh, than here, I, I would imagine. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of guessing that number. It's a good back-of-the-envelope type figure. I mean, by way of example, Starkey, who are one of these big players, they've got about 20 sites in Australia, a few more now, I think, and they've got around 800 
in the US, that kind of approach. Um, so it's, yeah, the the 10X is always a, a good back-of-the-envelope style approach to it. And uh, do you have your eye on uh, other markets? I imagine they could be English-speaking or, or not English-speaking. It, 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 it kind of wouldn't matter, I, I presume? No, it wouldn't. The key for us at this point is having the go-to-market alongside the strong partners so we're able to leverage of their capacity. And so a lot of these large internationals are European. In fact, all bar one of them, which is Starkey, which is an American company. Um, the rest are all based in Europe. So as we start to grow the relationship, it really is a global enterprise we're entering into. Okay. But you've just you've just tackled the US first uh, because it's probably the biggest market. So the obvious one to, uh, to start with. Yeah, that's right. We've got home base, which is Australia, obviously. So we've kind of done a really good job locking that one up. And the next opportunity is the US. And, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Okay, all right, great. So so with your revenue, um, j- just over half a million dollars in the last quarter or, or half? A quarter, yeah. Quarter, up 125%. What can sort of investors, you know, expect in terms of a growth profile? From, from here on in? Well, we're feeling really strong about the growth going forward as we've essentially doubled the clinic numbers. So that revenue is really on the back of the same uh, clinic volume that we had coming into the IPO with regards to the number of players operating. So we think there's an awful lot of room for upside through the clinics and an awful lot of room for upside through the NDIS now that we have some additional marketing resource. And then, of course, there's the US on top of that. So we think that the plan is very much working and the upside is is real and to be expected. With, with the share price, it's uh, uh, pro- pro- probably fair to say that it, it hasn't sort of set the world on fire, has it? I, I think s- since listing in May last year, uh, it, it's about 35% off the pace. So um, I'm just sort of wondering what you sort of, sort of make of that. Well, really, I think it came down to the fact that post-IPO, we just put our heads down and got to work. So we did a few bits and pieces, but ultimately our job was to grow the number of clinics and grow the revenue, both of which we've done. And now we're getting a bit more active in getting that story out there and re-engaging to focus on share price because my mandate was grow the business make sure that's working and the share price will kind of take care of itself. And now we're getting a bit more active with it to be really telling our story based on the results we've seen and the confidence we have moving forward. Uh, well, thanks, James. And w- with a market cap of about $12 million, the uh, the opportunity for investors should be um, coming through loud and clear as you uh, tackle the US market. So, uh Good luck and uh, hope to uh, talk again with you soon. Thank you very much, Tim. It's a pleasure.